We are living in uncertain times. Times of transition, flux, times they are a-changing, as one Nobel Prize winner might say. Most notably, the results of the recent U.S. presidential election have been one of those big changes. Perhaps these results came as a shock to you, regardless of which side you were on. Well, there's so much to process in these times as parents, adolescents, young children, all bumping up against the maelstrom from different developmental and social perspectives. Today, on this special episode of the Harvard EdCast, we sat down with two parenting experts and members of the faculty at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, Nancy Hill and Rick Weisbord. What you will hear is less of an interview and more of an audio tip sheet, an authentic reflection on how two researchers, two parents, are making sense and helping others do the same. Let's start by looking back to the day after the election with Nancy Hill recalling her child's experience in the morning after that Tuesday in November. So in the class on the morning after the election, it was clear that there was a lot of confusion among the the four and five-year-olds. And so some uh, children were, as the teacher described it to me, were really disturbed and when the class, you know, she had difficulty settling the class down, she asked the children how they were feeling. And, and after the usual range of feelings, one child said, I'm terrified. And another child said, my mom cried all night. And then another child said, well, Trump won. And then another child said, no, but Hillary Clinton won. And Hillary Clinton is the president of Massachusetts. And so I think for parents, it's really of young children, we're not always clear how much children hear and how they make sense of it and what their feelings are. And when they see their parents really upset, it really undoes their sense of security and their sense of stability. And as I think about talking with young children, like three, four, and five, don't underestimate what they hear and what they absorb from the media and the news and from the conversations we don't think they hear. They know a surprisingly amount of information about name recognition and feelings about those names. Most of the kids could understand in, in, in my son's classroom that Trump had said some bad things and that Hillary Clinton was was good, but not all good. And at that age, it's so black and white, it's hard to explain to a, a four, five, or six-year-old the nuance of good people saying bad things. And, and it's, it's just really hard to understand what they know. And so we really sat down and, and just tried to listen and offer some non-guiding questions to kind of understand what our son knew. I think for parents, particularly in this election season, we're trying to model good behavior while we're trying to make sense of it at the same time. And that's really hard. That's it's because often, you know, as we kind of process this for in advance of, of communicating with our, our children, we've usually already processed it ourselves. And so you have to kind of modulate your your anguish and mute your anguish so that you can have the right response. Or even, you know, there is such a thing as righteous anger, right? And so, and how do you model that? And so it's not to pretend that we don't have emotions or parents don't have right feelings that should be communicated 
with their with their children and their adolescents. But how do you model processing that out loud when so often we want to tell our children the right thing to do, having come from our experience or from our our reasoning, but so often we haven't finished reasoning about this. Well, I've been talking to a lot of parents who I I think are are dazed and um, trying to get their feet on the ground um, as, a res- as a result of this and trying to figure out how to talk to their kids about it. And, and, I, and I do want to say that um, there are big differences across race, class, and culture and the issues that parents are facing. There are also big differences based on developmental stage. It's very, you know, it's very different how a five-year-old is processing, processing this versus a 10-year-old versus a 15-year-old versus a 20-year-old. And that means that as parents, we have to be very tuned in to what our kids are you know, experiencing emotionally and also what they're capable of cog- cognitively and ethically. Um, you know, what I'm hearing from a lot of parents is that they want to get engaged. Um, they feel like they were blindsided by this, that there's a whole lot of people out there that don't think the way that they do, that they want to engage those people. They want their kids to engage those people. They want to have conversations across the usual divides. You know, I'm also hearing from some really responsible parent, parents, in my point of view, who really want to be allies to people who are threatened, um, to Muslim families, to immigrant families, to families of color, I mean, to people that Trump really, um, you know, said threatening and undermining things to in this election. And I think those are both, you know, very important things to model for our kids. I mean, both of those goals that um, we do need to talk with respect and respect the dignity of people who hold different political views than we do. And we also, you know, can't back off an inch. We really have to um, stand with um, people who are vulnerable in time like this. Everybody has a story, and they have their own story and their own experience. And I think the the people who, many of the people who ultimately supported Trump, and to some degree some of the people who supported uh, Bernie Sanders in, in the primary, are people who are feeling disenfranchised from where America is going. And they're feeling like, they were left out of the story, and they were left out of the economy as the economy shifted. And they feel like their voice isn't heard. And with all of the statements that we just can't get behind that Trump made, he, he gave voice to part of the other story that we're not hearing. And I think that's part of what we have to parse out for our our children, just you know what it's like to be to live in some parts of America where the economy has dried up, where factory jobs have closed, where schools aren't providing the kinds of of skills, knowledge that they should be providing, and where there are vast inequities in opportunity. And and I think that that in a sense causes people to, to want to build borders, to protect their own when they feel like their livelihood is threatened then they don't want other people to come in and compete because they don't feel like they have an opportunity to be competitive in the marketplace. And so it makes people want to to close ranks. And I think that while that might be a natural tendency that we can explain to our children, it's not actually what might be best for, for America as a whole. And that doesn't mean we need to leave people behind, but really come alongside where they are. You know, well, to some degree, I think you do want to be child-guided in, in this. I mean, you want to know how what children are hearing, seeing at school, on the news, 
um, and what the questions are in their mind. I mean, how they're making meaning of all this. So I do think the initial stage of listening is very important. Um, you know, I also think it is important to be monitoring some what your kids are hearing and um, and thinking about in, in relation to this. Uh, so I mean, so so those are two sort of fundamental guidelines that I would be th that I would be thinking about. Um, you know, I, I think it's also really important for people to for kids. I do think there's an issue of their safety. I think they've become associated, you know, particularly for younger kids. Trump has been um, associated with bigotry and their, you know, their reasons for that and with evil in a certain way. And it's important to separate Trump from Trump supporters, um, that there are some Trump supporters that I think supported him because of the bigoted statements. I think there are also, you know, many Trump supporters who supported him despite the bigoted statements, um, that they are, they're a complex group as well. And that when um, kids are thinking about this country and that Trump winning, it doesn't mean that a majority of Americans supported the bigoted statements. Um, and, you know, there's all kinds of explicit and implicit racism out there. But some of the worst offenses here, I think, are not um, actually capturing what's going on with most Americans. And, you know, I think part of what people are managing now is just anxiety and uncertainty. I mean, well, how is this all going to unfold? Um, and, you know, some of the, some of the initial signs are, are, are really troubling. I think that there are a couple of things that, that will help parents. One is that, um, you know, being passive is hard. I mean, being passive is hard in times of anxiety and certainty. Being passive is hard um, in times when you're, you know, sometimes things are going to happen where people are going to feel hopeless and defeated. And, you know, I think kids and parents, you know, at some point um, need to move to activity. I mean, to doing things that um, help them better the world and also help them manage their own anxieties. And that can take many forms. It can be, you know, registering people to vote. It can be doing service of some kind, not just doing service for people, but doing service with people, you know, on, on common problems. Um, it can be standing up against um, sexual harassment or other forms of harassment or protecting LGBTQIA students. I mean, there are a lot of different ways to get involved in your school and community. And, I, and it can be writing your congressperson. So, you know, I think people have to get mobilized about this if they're feeling knocked off their feet by things. Finding your voice and finding your place in this. I mean, it's, it feels like some of the battles in which we're fighting, we fought before, and we're going to be fighting them again. And I think finding one's voice and one's purpose in that. And I think in the aftermath of, of the election, it's one thing to be stunned by the election itself. But I think the other thing that is unsettling for people is the sheer unpredictability of the president-elect. And in elections past, you may not have agreed with who was elected or not, but you had a sense of consistency of who they were, what they stood for. You might not have agreed with the solution to their problems, to the problems that, that they posed, but you kind of agree that they were problems. And when you look at President-elect Trump over the course of the last several decades, he's been all over the map in terms of what he's believed in and what he stood for. And the things that are consistent are some of the most troubling things. And, and as he's transitioning into office, I think the American people aren't really sure what they're getting. They know what they didn't get, and they may or not may or may not wanted what they didn't get in in uh, Hillary Clinton. But I think we're not sure what we got. And so as we watch him build his team, 
and who he's meeting with and who he's not meeting with and who he's offered high level positions to and who he hasn't and who's accepted them and not. We're looking at those with such a level of scrutiny because we're trying to figure out how is he actually going to govern? Is he really going to stand by some of the things that he said? And in some of the appointments, we're, we're afraid he is. And so I think with this transition, there's such an instability in who we understand him to be. And he's never held an elected office before. So we have no idea how how responsive he is to the constituency. And so it's just a big uncertainty that people are are witnessing. And then everything he does is somehow a cue as to who he will actually be as a president. And I, and I think that's just incredibly unsettling. And so I think we need to acknowledge that this is a season that is is more unsettling than any other transition of power that we've had in current generations. So, um, you know, you know, I think there are different there are different bubbles in American America, or different pockets in America. Um, people who are very insulated from each other who react to this very differently. Um, you know, there are people who are um, were terrified that Hillary Clinton was going to win, um, and you know, so I think. Part of this, when we talk about bridging the, bridging the divides or having a conversation um, a, across political ideology, I think we're talking about a few different things. I think we're talking about helping our kids understand that there are some people who voted for Trump um, not because of his bigotry. In fact, they might have been fiercely opposed to his bigotry, but they are worried about their livelihood and they are really suffering. And they think that he, you know, rightly or wrongly, they think he, they, he has a plan. Um, for getting their jobs back and getting their lives back on track. Um, there are other people who voted for Trump, I think, who have very different moral ideologies. You know, they may be pro-life. And, you know, if you're pro-life, you feel like there's something catastrophic going on in, in America right now. And so, you know, again, they're not voting for him because of his bigotry. They're voting for him because they have an ethical principle that is really paramount for them. And I think kids, you know, need to understand that as well. Um, and, you know, there are, there are some people, and I, you know, and I think they're a minority, but who, you know, voted for him, you know, you know who I think are indecent and, um, and really troubled. Um, and, I, again, I think that that's a fairly small fraction of Americans. And, um, and I think we can talk to our kids, you know, you know, some of the people who are most vocal at the rallies. Um, uh, and I think we have to talk to our kids about, about those people too, but I think it's really important for them to understand that the majority of people are in the other categories, and they're complex people in the same way that you're a complex person, and you have to in, you know, engage, think about their complexities and engage their complexities, and particularly adolescents are very able, I think, to have that conversation. I think in these times that we are, we are reminded of why we're human, why we're American, and who we are, and to really give thought to our sense of purpose and who we are and what are the things that are that are greater than ourselves and and be reminded of those good and ethical things and be willing to stand for them and not be passive and to interrogate them and and understand them within ourselves and within our family and one of the things that is helpful to parents as they guide their children in uncertain times is to remember those fundamental beliefs that we hold to be true about life and liberty and be willing to talk about them, to label them, to point them out and exercise them in ways that we, we probably haven't had to do in, in a good number of years. And I think we're being called to 
to remember those fundamental things about life, purpose, and liberty and remind ourselves how we live them out from day to day. What are the things that we think are right and wrong and, and why? And be able to explain those to our children in ways that we didn't have to in the past. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we're excited to be doing more of this kind of work through the lens of HGSE's usable knowledge. Stay tuned. Hint, we are starting a second podcast. Yes, the EdCast is getting a spinoff. Think This American Life in Serial or Cheers and Frasier. I'm Matt Weber. This has been a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Thank you kindly for listening.